0: Hello, Australia. Welcome to episode number 12 of the Layback Podcast. My name is Jackson Allen, and this is a podcast about Australian climbers and Australian climbing stories. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we live, work and climb. I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. A few months ago, while up in Queensland, I had the chance to sit down with Alex Mugano, also known as Moogie or Moogs, who has become a fixture of the climbing scene in Queensland in the past decade. I was eager to capture some of his adventure climbing stories, but also to give listeners a feel for what the Southeast Queensland climbing scene has been like over the past decade through Alex's story of of growing up as a climber during that time. Alex is an all-round climber. He does a bit of everything, bouldering, sport, trad, adventure, single pitch, -pitch, multi-pitch, multi-day. Whether it's clipping bolts or plugging gear, he loves it all and it really shows. Outside climbing, Alex is a university student. He's an Awesome Woodies athlete, uh, also a helper, outer, and, and maker of things over at Awesome Woodies, and he's an ambassador for Pinnacle Sports. In the podcast, we talk about how his climbing started and progressed. We go into his motivations and what gets him psyched, his head game, and training that has more recently included building a crack climbing dungeon under his house. After that, We dive deep into his adventure climbing, in particular the first adventure climb he aspired to, a climb that I think a lot of southeast Queenslanders uh, could or should aspire to, that is the Governor on Mount Barney. After that, we dive deep into another epic he got onto that mountain, climbing the east face of Mount Barney route. Alex really opens up about his emotions and thought processes while he was climbing on that route. And it's a really interesting story that I was very glad to capture for the podcast and one that had me on the edge of my seat. I have a couple of people to thank before we start. Orion Siachi, who produces the blog Zen and the Art of Climbing. It's got some great climbing content, including a series on 50 classic climbs of Australia that's worth checking out, particularly if you enjoyed the recent series over on the Layback Instagram that detailed the great icons from the crag. Ryan helped me out with my research and planning for this podcast, as did Quan Goddard Lee. So thanks, Quan. It's greatly appreciated. This recording with Alex was really fun, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Let's get into it. sitting here in the uh, Tui Forest, Mm -hmm. right? Tell us about where your climbing journey started.
1: Yeah. So I had never really thought about climbing. Like as every kid, you'd go to climbing birthday parties and then I'd love it every time I went. Um, But you look at the price and it was just, yeah, I was looking at like 20 or $25 per session. And I was like, we can't afford that at all yeah so yeah didn't even entertain that thought i was mostly into like sports like ball sports like soccer yeah and then gymnastics as well when i was real young and um and then climbing sort of just started just it was a total random thing like event occurrence that happened when at the start of grade 12 and i was just riding my bike along the base of the cliffs at kangaroo point because here in brisbane we have yeah a cliff right in the city um and it's like 20 meters high. There's always people climbing there pretty much. There's light so you can climb there all night. And so I was just riding my bikes along the base. So I had no idea there was climbing there. I was on my way to to a movie actually in the holidays. Yeah, okay. And I saw these climbers and I was like, that is awesome. And so I just watched this du- this dude go to the top. And um, then the belayer turned around and asked me if I wanted to have a go. So he chucked me in his harness. And then it was way too big for me because I was like, you know, I was a bit of a late bloomer with puberty. I was still like a half child. How
0: old would you have been here, like sixteen, 16 or seventeen 16. or something? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah,
1: and um, yeah, he fitted me in his harness, did it up as tight as he could, and it like was loose all around the waist. And literally, first thing, you know, he let go, and it just went down past my knees. And he's <laughs> like, "Oh, don't worry, like just don't fall upside down. You'll be fine." Yeah. And um, anyways, he sent me up the climb and had do, so. much Do you
0: work. remember what climb it was or what?
1: Ah, oh, it was what climb it was. Yeah, it was um. I know it was to the right of dinosaur, yeah. Okay. And to the left of fobs. So I think it was like ring around the moon or lost in space. One of those like top rope slash trad problems. Yeah. And yeah. did
0: you send it? Were you like a, a natural from the beginning?
1: I can't remember to be honest. I just remember going up barefoot and spending ages up there, and I can't even remember if I got to the top or not. To be honest, but um, but I remember having such a good time. Yeah. yeah. And how did it evolve from there? Um. So yeah. Anyways, when I got to the ground. I asked him how to get into it, and he said, start bouldering. I was like, what's bouldering? And um, he just told me to traverse along the cliffs and then to walk back along the railing the whole way to improve my balance. And so I was like, traverse the whole way along the rock, just do what you can, and go back along the railing.
0: So for the listeners, there's Mm. a railing that runs along the whole base of the cliff, Mm. right? Yeah. And and
1: it's probably of a diameter
0: that that is is doable to... Yeah, Yeah,
1: it's probably like, I don't know, the size of a, a regular burrito at... At Guzman and Gomez, yeah, <laughs> subtle plug to Guzman. <laughs> I'm gonna have to edit that out. Oh, no, no, no I'm joking. So you're, you're sponsored by Burrito Bar or something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so so did you? So you got into
0: that? You were doing the traversing, and yeah. actually, were you actually doing the 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 walking? Yeah, the railing on the, one. Yeah, on we got ramp? bored of that pretty quick.
1: Yeah, um, okay. And cause I, I haven't really been that much into slacklining and stuff. So, yeah, got, got pretty bored of that.
0: Could you do the whole traverse? Could you do the whole KP traverse? N- not at
1: first. Like, we, we got to... There was one section at the start, just after the Around the World boulder, past mm-hmm. the trees, that was we found super, super tricky. And then there was another section further on where the only way we could find to do it was to climb, like, four meters up. And it was getting a bit sketchy for us back then. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we couldn't do the traverse. We were, like, total pretenders. So, like, I... I went back to school um, after the holidays finished, and found a couple mates who were interested. And I had yeah three other mates. One who was he had a rock climbing birthday party the year before, so I was like, I know he's keen. Yep. The other one, and this was at the Rock Indoor Climbing Centre that used to be in Browns Plains that might be opening up again. Um, but and then I had another mate who also went to that birthday party, and he was my rival at the birthday party. We had we had um. They played, put us through this game of like musical. It was sort of like musical climbing, musical chairs. Okay. And you'd run around this big rock tower in the center of the gym, and they'd put music on, and they'd turn it off, and you'd jump on the wall. And it was just me and him left, and um, and so we we ended up neck and neck, and we we both won it. They didn't choose a winner, and so when I was picking my my crew of climbing, I was like, all right. He's in because, you know, he was my, my fellow winner of musical
0: climbs. So you're like 16 and putting together this elite squad of, oh, yeah. of beginner
1: climbers. Only the best. Only the best.
0: <laughs> and is this the that gym that you're talking about? Is this the old urban climb in West End? or?
1: No, this is The Rock. It was oh, The Rock. Okay. Yeah, The Rock in Browns Plains. And it was like fully air conditioned. Oh. and really nice nice
0: yeah. nice yeah so you've got this crew together yeah and the then... last person
1: on the crew is Quan and he's Quan. the only one that's still climbing yeah ah. and i think you met Quan yeah i've met yeah. Quan yeah, yeah we climbed here in Tui Forest yeah. the other week so yeah. yeah and um and Quan was the he grew up in Armadale in New England and so he, he actually was climbing with one of their uni clubs when he was like a young teenager and he had climbing shoes. So he was obviously in. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> he, has some, he has the gear. Yeah. He has a pair of shoes. But he was trying to convince us, like in our first couple of sessions, he was bringing his mythos and he's like, guys, you need to get climbing shoes. Like it's the way forward. You can use all these tiny edges. And then us three, we were like, what are you talking about, mate? You don't need shoes. You can't crimp with your with shoes on. You can crimp with your toes. And so there was a bit of a rift in the crew. But, uh, already?
0: Oh, the, yeah. Like like the first ethical dilemma was to wear shoes or not or to not. wear shoes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And where uh, were you
1: climbing? So, yeah, it was just, just Kangaroo Point and then Tui Forest here. Tui Forest. And so, we'd catch the bus or the train to KP and then we'd walk from the, the station to, to Kangaroo Point and just traverse barefoot and then go home. And then we found out about the crag and then we, we I spent like a lot of my, like, time in classes at school like we had this contact class and I would spend most of it on the crag making a list of all the climbs I wanted to do and we found out about Tui Forest and I just live, I, I grew up maybe five minutes down the road so so I came here and then um, we were bouldering here a lot and then I started coming in before school. Yeah. Were you guys using pads as well at that time or? No we had this foam mattress that we just, I used a bit of rope and I fashioned it into a backpack so like I folded it in half with the rope and then I used some of the straps as backpack straps and then sometimes if, if mum could drop us off, she'd drop us off. Or a couple of times we walked, like, I don't know, two or three Ks from home to the forest just to boulder. <laughs> and just to do a bunch of, like, VBs and v zeros, and then walk home. Yeah. And was
0: the, were the boulders kind of really defined then back in... When this would have been 2012?
1: Like 2013.
0: 2013. Yeah. So were the... Were the boulders really defined when you went on the crag, were there a lot of problems that you could already go and do? Mm,
1: yeah, heaps. So, like a lot of problems have been put up in southeast Queensland, but not too much at Tui Forest. Like <clears throat> most of it's been established. Okay. Um, and so there was plenty to go off.
0: Yeah. yeah okay. Mm. From the get go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you guys were coming out regularly to uh uh to boulder, mm.
1: and and uh, how did it grow from there? How did it move? So we. We found out about, you know, top roping and that we could go and set up our own top ropes. And we looked at the top rope kits at at the climbing stores and we're like, that's way too much. And we looked at the courses and we're like, 600 bucks for a course? 500 bucks? I can't do that. You know, we didn't have any, any money. And so we just hopped on Gumtree and like every day I'd be searching up like top rope kit, top rope kit. And we found one for 200 bucks. And so we split it four ways between all of us and it came with two harnesses, two pairs of shoes, And then a figure eight device, like no, no normal blade device. just like a figure eight abseil device. And then a static rope and a dynamic rope. And um, so I emailed the guy. I'm like, hey, we we're like we're a bunch of 17 year olds. We don't actually know how to set this up. Can you teach us as well? And so he just he brought us to the top of the cliffs and he taught us how to set up the top rope. Um, showed us a good climb. And and yeah, then we're just top roping for ages. And we just set up one line and then we climb like the line that we set up on top of and then the line to the left and the right and just you know take nice pengies, pendulums and um and then go back up when we were sick and then move the top rope somewhere else and it would take us like an hour to set up the top rope because we were so gumby like I couldn't I I learned how to tie figure eight, but I was so bad at it like I just yeah I was so I don't know how I got through those first at all stages so there
0: was never a course at the gym for you there was never a you never had someone who was say qualified uh, officially who taught you how to no. tie knots how to no. how to set this whole thing up
1: no it was just like just youtube <clears throat> and then people like the community is so nice like i remember when we i really wanted to start league climbing about like three or four months into into climbing and then my my other mates were were a bit more measured and and said that like no, we should do a course to learn properly. Yeah, but I was like, screw that. You know, everyone else is leading. We're here like suckers at Kangaroo Point doing like one top rope line or two top rope lines in f- five hours, and like whereas every- we're watching all these lead climbers around us do like five or six lines in one session. And so I thought that we could sort of piece it together ourselves. Mm. And um, but I ne- never pulled the um pulled the trigger. And then yeah, for example, this one there was an American pilot was just in brisbane for like six or seven hours uh on a stopover and he came down and he wanted to have a climb and he's like hey dudes, can you can you give me a belay and then we're like oh we don't know how to lead belay and he's like oh no worries i'll teach you and <laughs> he taught us how to belay and that was our, our first time lead belaying and um then he taught us about lead climbing and how to put the drawers on how not to back clip and we learned the basics from there and then just taught ourselves and the community is so nice that you can at the start, we were just going out and asking people, and if we weren't sure about our top rope setup, we'd walk along, find somebody, and ask them. And I remember topping out a climate at Bruyar in that first year, and finding that I didn't—I didn't realize that there weren't anchors that you had to top belay over the top of the cliffs. Yeah, and I was like, "Crap! I do not know how to top belay. I didn't even know that was a thing." And so I top out, and there weren't even any bolts; there were just these two dead stumps, and I was just confused about what to do. And so, you know, you just walk off and you find somebody and you're like, hey, I don't know what to do. Can you teach me? And most people aren't going to say no. Yeah. And so that's how, yeah, I learned how to top belay.
0: Yeah. It's it's a good community around Kangaroo Mm. Point, right? And there's a lot Mm. of people that regularly go there and climb Mm. on weeknights. Exactly. So there's always someone there to kind of learn from. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's good.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that like KP was a big part of your early climbing in that first kind of year. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And Tui Forest. And Tui. You know, no.
1: yeah. yeah. And yeah, I would ride my bike to Tui Forest before school and wake up at five, ride out to here with a mattress on the back, holding me back in the wind and yeah, climb a bunch of boulders, realize, get to nine o'clock when school would, pro- you know, usually start, but my head would just be in this boulder and I, and I used to get so angry, like punching the boulders and I'd just be so passionate, really wanted to get to the top and then just sort of value that above school. Cause I'm like, why do I want to go to school? I want to send this boulder and, and yeah. And I end up rocking up to school at like, you know, 10 o'clock call mom. Mom's like, you went home in time. I've already gone to school. You're going to have to take the bus and then take the bus into school and, and get there late. But, um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to think that it's work, worth it. Yeah. 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 Hopefully it was worth it.
0: <laughs> oh well, yeah. I mean, you're at university now, right? So yeah, and I got through know. high school okay. And you got so. through high school okay. Yeah. So you know, yeah. it's all worked out. Yeah. You yeah. know, so you've learnt to lead climb. Mm. You've been going to KP, Briya you mentioned. Mm. Um, and where did it go from there? Like, how did it? I mean, obviously now mm. we know that that you're. Uh, this kind of all-rounder, as you described yourself. You boulder, you trad climb, you sport climb. You've got a pretty impressive tick list that covers a lot of Southeast Queensland. Um, how how did you get into kind of the, the, I guess, harder sport climbing and trad climbing? Like what what came first after this kind of initial foray of learning to lead climb?
1: So, yeah, started doing all that stuff with the crew and then it was a constant search for more because ever since the start i wanted to climb everything and like i said before when i was in school making these lists of the climbs that i wanted to do at tui and and kangaroo point they weren't just like lists of like all the classics that i want to do they were pretty much lists of all the climbs and like how how i could get there or get to the point of climbing everything and when i was a yeah, when I was in high school, I was really into video gaming and I was the sort of person that just wanted to tick, you know, get every achievement, not just do the main story to the end, do all the little side quests. And, um, even when I was, when I was a little kid learning to read, mum would say that I would read the books from start to finish, including all of the, you know, at the start of the books where it says like published by Penguin House or whatever, like Propriety Limited. And there's all those little mumbo jumbo that I still don't understand now, or I'm just starting to understand back then I would go through and I would read every single character, every single word because there was something in my brain that was just like, Oh, I want to accomplish this book from start to finish. And I think sort of that carried on into climbing. And then when we started top roping at kangaroo point, I, yeah, wanted to climb everything. And then I found it frustrating that I could only climb one or two lines in a session. And so we started lead climbing and then I'm like, Oh, there's half of the climbs in Queensland are trad climbing. So obviously you just need to start trad climbing. Otherwise you can only climb half of the lines here. And some of the best lines are trad lines. Yeah. And then in terms of grades, I was looking at all of these awesome grade 25s and 26s, and it seemed like 25 was the point where you could start climbing the overhanging places like Coolum, And uh, without climbing those grades and getting the strength for that, then you're limiting yourself in climbing. And that just scales up from, from all grades, like the stronger you can climb and the more different styles you can climb and the stronger your head is, the more routes you can do, the more places you can go. And I think that's pretty much what drove me back then to seek out more and more learning. Yeah. And probably now as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just
0: this aspiration to do everything. Yeah. 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 And so you had to obviously develop those skills. Um, Did you do a lot of training at that point in time? Like, uh, like, what did you actually do to get stronger, to, to get all those skills together, mm. to get you to where you wanted to
1: go? At the very beginning, there wasn't really much physical training because it didn't feel super necessary because a lot of it was just technique training. But I did, I bought one of those, you know, those moon hangboards with all the different pockets? Yep. Um, I got one of them off Gumtree that somebody sold in Ipswich and it was already attached to... One of those door frame chin up bars, and I was training on that within my first year, um, and just like doing repeaters and stuff. And I didn't get an injury, but my f- my f- middle finger I couldn't bend more than like 90 degrees because I was just training on that like one or two days a week. And you know I was reading online that you shouldn't train, you know, d- do dedicated hangboarding in your first couple years of climbing, and even. I think in my second year of climbing, I went to the Blueies, and I met this this Czech rock climbing ch- trainer. He was a coach back in the Czech Republic, and he he said that you shouldn't be training at all within your f- first five years of climbing. And I was like, screw that! Like I could I can start training now, you know, but I can do it in moderation. Yeah. To get my fingers as strong as they can be, and then try to reel myself back. But very very early on, like I think a lot of people that are quite psyched yeah my fingers started having issues and that's when i was like okay i'm doing all all that i can time to focus on on technique
0: yeah okay yeah and how did you focus
1: on technique just going out and climbing more going out and climbing a lot of youtube videos i bought this book oh what was it called the self-coached climber and that that taught me how to like drop knee and then you you know like the twist your hip into the wall because i didn't really know that was a thing um, and a lot of just, yeah, watching videos of people climbing and trying to micro or analyze their micro beta. Oh, yeah. Like behind us, there's um, this climb called Unleash the Dancer, yep. which is this V7. And, oh, except the extension's called Fat Man Traverse. And there was a video of Tom O'Halloran doing that. Yeah. And I distinctly remember watching that like f- maybe 50 times in that first year of climbing, sometimes at school, sometimes at home. And just seeing Tom use his heel and it was the first time I'd actually looked and analysed a heel hook yep. and then I because I was projecting the V2 that we were talking about before yep. the start of that problem and I just couldn't you're on jugs but I could not figure out how to traverse this lip and this V2 there's there's no footholds below you you're doing a lip traverse on all these jugs that may or may not be chipped I reckon they were chipped um, and you're just following well your right heel is just following you to keep your arm um, yeah t- to, to mean that to to help you to not campus Um, and then anyways and you're working across and putting the heel and you're just working your hands across and I had no idea how to heel hook and then I just watched the video of Tom doing it I'd try it I'd notice that he's you know pointing his his big toe off to the right to engage the calf and he's pulling with that when he moves his hands and then he's cutting loose and when he's cutting loose he's keeping his feet in so that he's you know so that to bring his center of gravity in closer so he's not swinging out and I was just watching all this and this you can just learn from watching other people And But it's only if there wasn't that video of Tom doing that, then it would have taken me ages to learn. It's just because there's so many resources online. Yeah. Yeah. So you're
0: hangboarding and obviously bouldering in Tui Forest a lot, which is going to get you very strong. So that brings a strength element to it. You're uh, you're watching technique, reading books, that sort of thing to develop the technique. Uh, What about your head game? How did that develop? Because you've done some quite bold ascents and you've got quite
1: a good head game, how did that come about? Um, I I wouldn't actually say that I've that I've got a good head game. Like, and I think my belayers over this past year would agree with me in that I I get so so scared on on runouts when I think I'm, there's a potential for me to fall. I'm fine on a runout. If it's in a territory that I know that I'm not going to fall so that if it could be, I don't know, up to grade 18 or grade maybe 20 territory, depending on the style, um, if it's like slabby or vert and I'm okay running it out because you're in the mind space of there's no way I'm going to fall as long as I keep my head, I'll be cool. But if I'm doing, and you know, that could be over territory that's like ledgy and whatever. But if I'm climbing something steep and clean, like the fall is clean, there's, there's no real danger or risk to you if you take like a big 10 meter or 15 meter fall. But if I'm climbing and on holds that are a bit small and I'm like, I could slip off this move and I'm second guessing my, my stability where I am, then I get really, really scared. So I could even be three meters above a bolt and like feeling that I could fall, you know, on a climb that's close to my limit and I'll be really scared and I'll lock up to the point that it restricts my further climbing. Um, Yeah.
0: And so, how do you work through that? Because clearly you've been able to.
1: Yeah, I'm still still working on it. Like, mm. yeah. Like a couple times this year, I've just frozen up and I haven't been able, been able to go through. Like I was really trying to, I've been trying a route called Pocomoco and the Valley Girls at Frog and I really wanted to do it ground up. And yeah, you know, not rehearsed it on top rope at all. My first goal was I'm just going to rock up there. I'm going to try to do it ground up, and just to work on my head game. But I found that the moves were just that hard for me that I, I I felt like I couldn't perform at my highest with that extra fear of of the big falls, and they weren't even that big. So I ended up um like not proud of it, but I ended up bailing from that ideal and then jugging up a line and then you know swinging in clipping the next bolt and then trying eat most of the sections on top rope apart from the crux down low but the top when the bolts start start to get a bit more space and the clips are quite tricky yeah I just rehearsed that on top rope um, but I'm still working on it and I'm finding that it's just exposure really like I can rationalize the falls as much as I can in my head and I can think that Okay, I'm gonna take a six meter fall, but it's into space. It'll be totally cool, and that helps to an extent because you, in the in the moment there, you can you can analyze the situation and say this is safe, continue, or this is not safe, continue and don't fall, or this is not safe, don't continue. But to an there comes a certain point where you just need to feel that fall because your mind can understand it, but you can't really understand it completely that it's safe until you take that fall and you learn. And so it's just. Yeah, falling practice, really. So, most sessions out there, if I'm feeling a bit nervous, I'll go up, go above the bolt, and I'll start to take a couple falls to try to, yeah, train that and make me understand deep down that I'm going to be okay.
0: Yeah. 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 Mm. But you also do a lot of climbing through territory, which would be a do-not-fall situation.
1: Yeah. 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 So, how did I get that head game?
0: I've had... Mm. In my research, this podcast, someone described mm. you as being very optimistic. <laughs> Do you tend to just kind of jump in and then maybe worry about dealing with it, like, when you get there or?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm 100% an optimist. Yeah. Like, I need to introduce more realism into my life. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm getting slowly better at that. And climbing with a good friend of mine, Ryan Siachi, and with, with Kyle as well, they're both more on the realism side of the spectrum and Ryan is very very much a realist um, some would say potentially pessimist but like definitely a yeah. more a realist and um, so that's been good to reintroduce realism and in, into my climbing a bit more but yeah I do I do completely believe that you don't know what an, what a uh, an experience is going to be like until you're actually there faced in front of the beast you know because it could it could be nothing and often it's just things in your head are just working around in circles and circles and circles and you're making a bigger deal or a different deal about something than what it is and so you've just got to go and try and see what happens and that goes for big objectives so if there's like a big adventure climb you want to do that you're uncertain about you can do all the preparation in the world and preparation's good is what I'm learning and and I suck at preparation but um preparation is great but like you also just have to rock up and see what happens and then have an escape plan so that you can get out of that situation if need be and so that that mindset of just going for it goes for big objectives but also goes into the the minute decisions when you're on a climb and that could be like oh i'm not sure if the next hold is good i've got a bit of a run out but you're not going to know until you you actually you know reach up and you try to use that hold and then when you're there you're like oh wasn't that good but it's okay what about the next hold and then, you know, you're constantly seeking each step of the way and seeing if like what it's like, because your mind, just depending on how you're wired, if you're super pessimistic, you'll be like, oh, next hole's is probably crap. I'm going to fall. It's going to be horrible. I'm going to break my legs. Or you can approach it as a realist and be like, I actually don't know what it's like. I can see what's going on, which is probably the, the good way to be because then you're open to the new experiences. And then if you're an optimist, you'd be like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's a jug. And then you're just going to dino for something that's like a total sloper. Yeah, um, okay. But – And but you yeah. being
0: an optimist, is it ever on? The no, <laughs> I would say – that it was
1: <laughs> – In those situations, I'm probably more of a realist. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Look, I want to talk a bit more about adventure climbing because it, it is um, something that you do a fair bit of and, and we'll get to that. But uh, getting back to this, this training side of things, right, and uh, – um, We just came from your place. Uh, You've got a full woody downstairs now. You've got like a... uh, You've set yourself up a crack for a lot of like crack training, right? For... uh, um, And that's mostly training for frog?
1: Not really, yeah. It's It's not that applicable to frog really. Yeah, okay. Because the cracks... The crack climbing at frog really tapers out at grade... Maybe grade 24. And at that grade, you'll have some climbs with a couple finger locking moves or fled jams that get quite pumpy but yeah even then the cruxes from grade mostly grade 24 upwards are face cruxes because the cracks just seem out to a point where you can't use them with your fingers and the thinner cracks that might be like a finger crack the whole way have footers on the outside of the crack so it's not pure crack climbing and every now and again there's like a jug or a face hold to, that you can use and like like a, a couple of the of examples would be Impulse and Worrying Heights, and they both follow very thin cracks. And if there were no face holds at all, they'd be these awesome crack test pieces at like grade twenty six. But there's face holds all over them. That's just the nature of the rock. So so my the crack dungeon's not really for for that training, mostly for roof cracks, in um in other areas. <laughs> there's not there's not too many roof cracks around, yeah. but definitely the wide boys has like you know
0: has like rubbed off on you yeah it planted
1: the seed of psych um in me and a couple other mates as well like kyle and dan and max and simo for for roof cracks um but yeah there's a couple around like there's there's one out in passiondale that we did last year called trivial pursuit
0: yep that's a boulder problem
1: it's a boulder problem but it's probably you start at the back of this cave and it may be like a six or seven meter roof crack that starts off like fists then goes into full off width where you're just or you're just hanging on by heel toe cams and you're just shuffling them along in this big sort of flared groove and you can't get any hand jams in or or arm bars because it's so flared at the bottom and then after that it goes into a couple more fists thins out to hands and then you've got some real thin flaring hand jam moves um towards the end and then a feet first finish and that like got me so sigh for roof cracks. And then at the start of the year, I was just asking around for any other roof cracks and piecing together different cracks that we found over the years. And I made this list of all the local roof cracks within like a three-hour radius that we know of. And there's for sure there's more out there. How
0: far through the list are you?
1: Oh, didn't even get to start. No? Because... Because I got injured from all the crack training.
0: From all the crack training. Yeah,
1: it was so sad.
0: Because so, you live with other climbers, yeah? Are they all climbers in your house? or No, not? neither of them. No? no. It's,
1: okay. It's one of them was one of the, the OG original crew, yeah. um, Ben, but he, he stopped climbing within a couple of years and he got into parkour and, and other stuff.
0: So a lot of local climbers come around to your place to train?
1: Yeah, yeah, a couple. Yeah, mm, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good. So yeah, we we're having crack sessions start of the year and a couple woody sessions, or half woody sessions. is so tiny, that that little woody. Yeah, yeah, but yeah.
0: Oh well, you've got to make do with the space that you've got under a typical Queenslander, right? Yeah, that's right. Maybe for the other people in the country who haven't been to uh, <laughs> Queensland, uh, yeah. do you want to describe what a typical Queenslander is?
1: Uh, it's pretty much a house raised up on stilts, and I think the idea behind them was. To provide good ventilation under the house to keep it nice and cool and then in some areas it's good for flooding as well because it means that the rest of your house doesn't get damaged um but in my case it just means that i've got a, a space to train it's like a perfect
0: space for your crack dungeon yeah yeah, and, uh,
1: yeah place to scream under the floorboards and so my housemates upstairs can be like what the hell is going on because <laughs> some of those to get psyched on on those crack sessions you just need music that pumps out, that rages, and that rages louder than your body's telling you no. And and then you're just like you know, sometimes you're just shouting to get through it and we'll just have like four or five people under the house just like screaming at each other. And there's no because the Queenslanders it's not like underneath the house is boarded up. It's not soundproofed or anything, like the whole house can or the whole street can hear. And so, I'm yet to talk to anyone about what they think about what we do or what goes on down there. But, yeah, I don't really want to ask.
0: <laughs> uh, so, this list of cracks, were a lot of them established cracks? Or are you going out there trying to develop new roof crack climbs in Queensland?
1: Oh, they're, they're all new. Like, there aren't any... As far as I'm aware, Like there could be some secret stuff, but... um. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, there's no established roof cracks around, really. There's there's this old steep off-width out at Mount Edwards called Comfortably Numb. It's like the... I think it's, I think it's a Pink Floyd song. And um, yeah, it's this, this 21, but it's like this traversing steep thing that you can just get like little knee jams in the whole way across to traverse. That's one. Apparently, there's a roof off-width out in Sanford somewhere that Eric Straw is. Currently trying. Yeah, I I, I found it in this um, in this old rock magazine. You know, have you seen the rock magazines? And at the start, they've got lists of first ascents. No. Oh, yeah. I, I got...
0: Uh, I, I feel shame. I yeah. should know this, right? <laughs> should, yeah. Like, I make an Australian climbing podcast <laughs> and I don't know about this list at the start of... Ooh.
1: <laughs> I think I think it was just... In, I can imagine being there in the 80s and 90s yeah. and then just getting the magazine and pouring through the start and, tr- you know, seeing all yeah. the first... I'm sure all the cl- Queenslanders were looking at... The New South Wales ascents and seeing exactly what went down. Yeah, and yeah, some of some of us up there would have been like, "Oh, damn it! They've put up a twenty-five or a twenty-eight. We got to we got to one up them. <laughs> We got to do something
0: about that." Yeah. yeah,
1: but I, um, Vertical Life ran this promo at the start of the year where you could buy heaps for a discount for quite cheap, and so I bought a whole stack of them, and I was just pouring through those first ascents at the start, just trying to see what happened in Queensland back in the day, and it's demoralizing. Like, there's usually there's like two or three pages dedicated to New South Wales and Victorian first ascents. And it's just like dominated by the Grampians and the Blue Mountains. And, um, and then for Queensland, you'll have like five <laughs> new roots And it'll be like some, some old like Trevor Ginther and his buddies just like putting up some 16s at Gun and sending them into Rock Magazine being, look at what we did, guys. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, there's, there's, yeah, like all the legends down south. But um, but anyways, and then I stumbled upon this one route out at Sanford, and it's like a four meter. Apparently, it's a two two to four meter roof off. With sent that off to Eric Straw, and he's currently trying to find it. Um, so those are the only two established roof cracks that I know of, and there's there's going to be more out at Stanthorpe. It's going to be like plenty of roof crack boulders.
0: So you found plenty of roof crack boulders. No, I haven't
1: there? found any, but I'm sure of it. They're there. This is you the optimism hunt them coming for them. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. They're hundred percent there. Because we found one just by chance, and there's going to be more because it's just a sea of granite out there. And then uh, Kyle found one out in Christmas Creek that is like a maybe six or seven meter roof roof thin hands crack. Um, some of the some of the urban boys have been, or were developing a cliff down in northern New South Wales, and they they found some roof like granite roof cracks out there that look superb. And then. Canyon Gorge um, will have, like, heaps.
0: You think there's a lot of potential out there?
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll show you on my phone later. There's um. <laughs> there's... We'll have to
0: include the pictures for the listeners.
1: <laughs> oh, no. We, we can't include any pictures. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. All
0: right. Well, Logan Barber
1: will come up and he'll just put down.
0: <laughs> uh, true. But, you know, he's stuck in WA. The board is closed. You've got plenty there of time to, yeah. to send all these roof cracks before Logan can get <laughs> yeah. out here. So, uh, yeah.
1: But, yeah, there's, like, there's... We found, like, three solid roof cracks out there. One, One's this 8 to 10-metre, yeah, roof-hand crack that looks bloody glorious. And another is a similar length, like, off-width and, like, dead roof off-width. And then another is this cool... I haven't been mean, up there, so I'm not sure. It could be ring locks, anywhere from ring locks to, to fist jams. And it goes dead roof for about 4 metres. And then it slowly, over about... Over on a horizontal plane of, like, three metres, it transitions from roof to face, and it looks like it transitions through that along around. So it almost goes, like, flat, dead horizontal to 45 to vert, and then just this beautiful splitter crack the whole way. Oh, there's there's just so much out there. And then some guys out at Santhorpe have found this 12-metre finger crack that's tilted back at, I don't know, about 30 degrees, 25 degrees. So, there's so much stuff around for, for crack climbing. Just got to get it done and get not injured.
0: <laughs> not get injured. Yeah. Oh, hopefully that handle heal up soon and you'll be able to get stuck into it. Yeah. Yeah. As an all-rounder, you you boulder, you trad climb, you sport climb, which, you know, uh, is not that typical. Uh, a lot of climbers will focus kind of maybe on the, the performance aspect or maybe, you know, they, they like to focus more on the adventure aspect why do you think you want to do both those things
1: i think it goes back to just wanting to climb everything and realizing that each discipline helps each other out it's probably more obvious that sport climbing and like climbing hard not even just sport climbing but climbing hard and sport and trad will help with adventure objectives because all of a sudden instead of you know, instead of being on a grade 12 and feeling comfortable in no fall territory, you can bump that up to being comfortable on a 20. And then you can see the real strong dudes, like the Honolds, you know, can feel comfortable on a 25 or a 28. Um, and so that explains your horizons there. And then if I'm out putting up a route in the middle of nowhere where I, you know, don't want to take a bad fall because, yeah, risk, rescue isn't an option or isn't, isn't an option you want to take, then... um, yeah, the stronger you are, the more capable you would be on more terrain. But then in the other direction, I suppose adventure climbing and being good with that sort of headspace doesn't help with sport climbing too much, but um, but it's just fun. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just want to climb everything, so that's why I do it all. But it definitely, I think it affects my performance in both. Like If I was just sport climbing and just bouldering, I'd be way more motivated to train and I'd probably be climbing I, I don't know you can't say but I feel like I could be climbing like 33s or something if I really devoted myself to it hmm. but you don't have an aspiration for that or uh, I, I do but not an aspiration that's big enough to to sacrifice the other parts of climbing so like take this year for example um, this year's been a, a bit of a tough year with, with other things in life like family and love life and um and so that's that's made me shift my perspective a bit more. So I haven't been climbing so much. But then when I have been getting out climbing, I've been prioritizing the things that I want to do. And like this year, I and a friend have been, um, you know, we spent a couple of weekends developing a, a cliff and it was adventurous. You know, like the first time to find the cliff, it took us like five, year, uh, five years, five hours. Five hours. That felt may as well have been five years. It was through gnarly bush and felt like it took ages. Where is it? Um, it was in the Gold Coast hinterland. Okay. Yeah, and so the the bush through there is like real rainforesty and really thick vegetation and just vines everywhere, and this cliff. Yeah, we we took a, a lot of wrong turns, but even then, when we've returned there, it's it's taken us at a minimum two hours to get to it with heavy packs because you're walking down like you know forty five degree slopes of really loose, rich like brown soil, and you're just falling over everywhere. You're falling more than walking. And there are sections where you're just like abseiling over vertical vegetation to get to the actual cliff edge, and like the cliff is is cool, but like there's something about that adventure that surrounds it and the relative inaccessibility that um that's appealing and and I spent maybe the how many days would it have been? Spent about ten days or eleven days um, working on a new route at Mount Warning. And, yeah, again, the first time walking in there for us took us seven hours because we had to, like, reform a track and everything. And that was all through winter. You can only go out there pretty much in winter because the face is north-facing and it's this big black shield of rock. And you going out in there in summer, like, I, I swear to God, you just burn the rubber on your shoes. It, it, it gets hot there even in winter. Um, and so with all that stuff, all of a sudden it got to October and now I'm like, crap I haven't actually sent anything you know like I I sent one one goal climb at the start of the year and then I embarked on all all this adventure stuff and now I'm like oh the warm conditions are coming back and I've sent like a couple couple bowlers and one project but it's not you know I could have climbed a lot more and probably gotten a lot stronger but that's not where my cycle lies I don't think
0: yeah yeah it lies in the adventure yeah 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 on adventure let's go back a bit okay what was the first like adventure climb that you aspired to that was on your list in Southeast Queensland that you were like, I want to climb that?
1: Oh, okay. First climb that I aspired to, because my first adventure climb was probably like a normal sport route at Kangaroo Point because that was adventure to me It That was an then. adventure, yeah. Yeah, it was just questing up into the unknown and figuring it out. And then once those that sport climbing started to become known, then I was looking for the next thing. And probably the first big adventure that I, I aspired to was, Oh, actually I'll, I'll wheel it back a bit. The first adventure climb that I aspired to do was Black Orpheus, which is an entry level trad climate, uh, Mount Tibbrick And it's three pitches. It's grade 12. It's got a couple long run outs, but it's, it's quite achievable. And when myself and Quan did our first sport multi pitch, we were watching these traveling climbers do Black Orpheus at the same time and this dude placed a hex and he did like a 10 meter run out and we were just like, holy crap, that's gnarly. And and we just learned, that was our first multi-pitch. We'd practiced making anchors at the local campsite just on this bit of chain in between these two fence posts. And then we returned a year later and we did Black Orpheus and that was a really nice step. And the next adventure climb and the truly like the one that felt like true adventure was the governor and the governor for people who don't know is uh the longest sport multi-pitch in queensland at the moment and it's 320 meters long up the east face of east peak of mount barney and mount barney is the the tallest peak in southeast queensland i think it's the third or second i think mount actually i've I've got no clue Uh, maybe i i want to say mount superbus is taller but I don't actually know. Fair yeah. enough. But it is, the governor
0: is sort of well known and something that a lot of people aspire to. Yeah, know.
1: definitely. Yeah. And Mount Barney is like our mini hiking mecca. You know, if people want to go climb the mountain, Mount Barney is what they aspire to and they try to do every ridge up there. Yep. And the, the governor is really the the most easily accessible climb on Mount Barney because there's maybe 10, 10 routes, but it's mostly just long, adventurous trad multis that have been climbed by like five people ever yep or had five ascent sorry and yeah so the governor it's about nine or ten pitches if you link them well and the crux it's got three grade 22 pitches and it's quite sustained the whole way up so most of the the, i think the the average pitch grade is about grade 19 but it's really well bolted um it's had a couple bolts added recently in the last couple years um to get rid of the, these two runouts that were just illogical. So somebody went in there and added some bolts, And so it's a bit more accessible now, but it's still an adventure. Like you've you've got to hike up anywhere between three and a half and five hours, depending on how lost you get finding the, the base of the wall. And then the walkout is similar distance. Yep. And it's, yeah, it's like, it's a step up for most people to go and do that. And it was for me. Yeah. How did you build up to it? Uh, did, I didn't really, it was my second multi pitch. So I did, the, <laughs> <laughs> I did like, uh, Zeitgeist, which is the multi at Tibro. Yep. And then my next one was, um, was the governor. And, but in terms of my preparation, I just read as much as I could online, which wasn't much that one person had written a trip report. And I think he was the third ascent of the governor and he pretty much just described it as being a total death trap and that it just it felt like to me that you're just going to die if you try this climb Um, because of the rockfall there was a lot of rockfall potential Mm. Um, and but yeah I still wanted to do it um, because it's it was just there to, to be done. It's the governor. It's the governor, yeah. Right. Even down to the name, like, it it's called the good. governor. Yeah, you know? They could have called of... it the princess, and you'd have been like, oh, sweet, you know, like, let's give it a go, but they called it the governor. The governor. It yeah. sounds authoritative. Yeah. yeah, and I was just, you know, yeah, the name just makes you feel like you got there and you're going to get governed, you know? <laughs>
0: it's it's a climb that a lot of people aspire to right a multi-pitch climb that's kind of in that grade range yeah it's accessible and 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 because of the peak and you get to the top of the Mm. peak and you do the hike off it's Mm. it's uh it's quite an experience how did you guys go did you get governed on the governor
1: or we got yeah we we got governed for the most part and then we governed it back and oh yeah, We showed it who the real governor was. Um, no, no. Was All right, th- no, we probably need
0: to put a little bit more detail to this. Yeah. So, so did it, was it like an early start, early in the morning? or?
1: Yeah, so so, about two weeks before we went for it, myself and Zach did a recce hike. So, we walked some water up there and then found the base of the climb. And then Prasik back out. And because there's this little 30-meter wrap that you need to do to get down to the base. And then... And then it yeah, went back and I thought it was just going to be me and Zach um, because we were bros. And then he invited four more people and we had a party of six going up there. So three parties of two. On the governor. On the governor. Time. Yeah, which wasn't wasn't a good plan. Like no. you just move so slowly. Yeah. And anyways, we, we returned there a couple of weeks later and our plan was to hike up it on the ridge so that we can have a real early start the next morning. And so we wake up at uh, maybe one o'clock and they, I was the, the youngest of the group. I was the runt, you know, the, the amateur. And so the, the three old, well, the four older guys were under the tarp because they had a tarp to, to stop the dew. Another guy had his bibby sack and I was just lying there nestled on a downhill underneath this grass tree and had the worst night's sleep ever. Then we all woke up at one and all of their legs were sopping wet. My whole body was sopping wet um, because we thought that it, it had rained all night. And then we made the call then that we're not going to be able to climb it because it's just rained rained on our plans. And then we woke up in the morning and in complete cloud, you couldn't see anything, the The trees were still dripping. And then but every now and again, the clouds would open up and it's just blue skies outside. And I realized that it was just the cloud coming through, settling on the trees. And then the wind was blowing the moisture off and onto us. So we thought we were getting rained on, but it was just dripping, dripping dew really. And... And so, I was trying to convince the guys and they didn't really... They didn't believe me and um, that that was the case. They thought it still rained. So, I wrapped down there with a walkie-talkie. And I said, I'll, I'll suss out the rock and the rock was dry. And so, from then on, it was like go time.
0: It was go time.
1: But we, we started late. It was like nine o'clock. Um, we woke up at eight in the end and it was maybe nine or, or ten by the time we started climbing. And it was slow going anyway. So, we got up to, the, to pitch five um, out of... It's actually broken into 15 20 meter pitches but you can link up whatever so we're up to pitch five so about 100 meters up with 200 meters to go all of us and we just weren't going to make it by the time the sun went down so everyone decided to head down to the bottom and then myself and another guy ash colston decided to keep going and we just motored through the rest of the pitches um with a couple hiccups and then yeah, uh, I should mention this that I um I short roped him on the crux pitch and literally pulled him off the middle of the crux. <laughs> I sort of don't want to say it, but I've uh, got to be honest. So, so yeah, I was playing with the Grigory because that was our plan for if we got hit with a rock fall, and there was you know there was a lot of loose rock back then that at least the Grigory would lo- would lock off for the climber. Good, and, point. Uh, yeah, and um and at the very top pitches thirteen and fourteen. So the last three pitches are 22, 22, and then 14. And those 22 pitches come like, you know, right at the end after 270 meters of climbing. So you're you're palms and you're tired, you're fatigued, you've had a bad night's sleep um, and and you're stressed up there. You know, the sun, sun was setting and we got up to those crux pitches and the cloud had set in. So you're like just enveloped in cloud. You can't see 10 meters in either direction. And it was my turn. So Ash did the first crux pitch and I was going up for the second. And you're on this little hanging belay. The first bolt is two meters above the hanging belay. Yep. And then the second bolt back then was about five or six meters above that first bolt, which introduces you to like a huge fact, like a factor 1.5, 1.84 or something onto that first bolt. And you're falling way past the belay, which was really weird because the rest of the climb was really well bolted. But right there was this big run out where you're subjected to this huge fall into space cause you're over this little overhang and in cloud. And so I went up, backed off, I went up, backed off and I, I couldn't find the courage within me to, to push through that section. So I came down, we untied and swapped ends. And then he went up, and he like, he pushes through the crux and he's getting the high point for both of us. He's pushing higher than I was. And he was about like a meter from the bolt. And he's like, just watch me, watch me. And I was playing with a Grigory, and we'd fiddled with the rope, and I didn't know how to lap coil a rope properly for a hanging belay. I was always putting it on my feet. And so it was just a total clutch. Am I allowed to swear? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, total yeah, clusterfuck. No sponsors, so. Oh, sweet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'll put a language warning at the start. All
1: right, sounds good.
0: Um okay, you could let loose now and swear as much as you wanted oh, no, to. <laughs>
1: you've opened up something like Open a door a to, to hell. Yeah. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, so,
0: so you're, uh, uh, so you're belaying Zach.
1: So I'm belaying Ash. Ash, yeah. sorry, yeah. Ash. Yep. So I'm belaying Ash, and he's, you know, he's getting up to that the next bolt. So he's made it through that section. From there, we can go to the top. And, you know, we can, we can get the hell out of there. And then, you know, he's like right at the bolt, (laughs) he's clipped a quick onto the bolt, ready to clip. And then I drop the coil of rope off my (laughs) lap and it goes, and it's hanging below me. And I didn't know how to unlock the Grigri to give, because all the weight of the rope was on the belay hand side. And I, my usual gree gree belay method was, you know, just like normal yep. belay method. You don't have any resistance there, so you can pull. And I couldn't pull the rope out. And I was like, shit. And I just remember him looking down at me. And he's like, don't you fucking short rope <laughs> me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he can't hold anymore. And he just pitches off.
0: Is this onto the like factor four? This is
1: that, yeah, the huge oh, fall. Oh no. And it's a hanging blade on the lip of this roof. <laughs> and we're totally in cloud. And I'm just watching him as he's falling past me. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and he ends up falling like four metres or five metres below me, below the belay. And it was just real ugly fall and I get sucked into the anchor. And he's just sitting there, like enveloped in cloud, just giving me the strongest death stare I've ever felt. Oh... <laughs> uh. Anyways,
0: so what did he just then get back up and do it again? Yeah, he was
1: such a legend. He got us through. Power to him! Yeah, Yeah, he did so
0: well. Solid effort. Yeah, solid effort. But you guys topped out and and uh, and and it all worked out. Yeah. What was? How did you feel after that? You having done the governor?
1: Yeah, I was. I was stoked. I definitely felt like I had to come back because I felt took it as a bit of a personal failure those pitches. Yeah. Um, because I wasn't able to pull through that one, so I definitely felt like I had to come back. But it was such an awesome feeling because. The build up to me mentally I was so scared I um the night before actually because I didn't have any reception at camp on the ridge I hadn't seen my dad for maybe like two or three months and dad my parents are divorced so dad was living um, somewhere else and at that point in time I was so obsessed with climbing that I would pretty much sacrifice like my personal life for it and I wouldn't prioritise my family and Cause I was just super, super psyched. So I just ended up not seeing dad for months and, and I just realized that there, I was like, I could die tomorrow. Like this, this seems like a a death trap because, but I didn't actually know, but it felt like it. And so I hiked up to the top of the mountain and I called dad and just told him, you know, I'm doing this climb tomorrow. It's really scary. I'm really scared, but I love you. And, um, and I just wanted to talk to you. He was so cash. like I was ready for this real <laughs> deep and meaningful chat and this, you know, this connection. And he was like, "You want to do this climb, right?" I'm like, "Yeah." And then he said, "Well, you'll do it." And then from there, I was like, "Oh, okay, I'll do it." You know, I've got, I've got dad's stamp. Yeah, approval. dad gives you
0: that solid knot of confidence to yeah help psych you up. Yeah, that's good.
1: So, um, so yeah, and then he was right. Yeah. Yeah. You made oh, it to the top. Also, there was this... You know how the, at the summit of climbs or of mountains, there are those little boxes that you can write your notes?
0: Yeah, like a, a geocache. Yes.
1: Know? Yeah, yep. like that. So, at the summit box, I wrote down, I'm going to do the governor tomorrow. I'm really scared. If you don't see my message tomorrow, said Val. <laughs> and then when we summited, I, I forgot to give a revision. I didn't say, it. we finished the governor. We're all good. <laughs>
0: So some poor soul's going to maybe like come across this and be like oh no there's someone stuck yeah, on the governor.
1: There's a skeleton there for the last 5 years.
0: I mean that I guess that shows you how how good of a precautionary measure that is right. putting a, a note in a geocache that someone <laughs> might check every few weeks yeah. like oh we've been waiting here a few weeks thanks for coming to rescue us yeah, now that you found the message in the geocache
1: true i should revise my my risk management
0: <laughs> let's let's talk about another experience that uh, you've written a bit of a blog on and and that uh, okay. people have told me to ask you about
1: okay
0: on mount barney and that's the east face mount barney route oh yeah okay because yeah. this turned into a bit of a, uh, well, it was an experience. Mm. So not to lead the witness, but tell us <laughs> a bit about it. What, what, what uh, w- Tell us mm-hmm. about the route, for f- first of all.
1: So the east face of Mount Barney was put up in the mid-60s mm-hmm. by, I think it was Les Wood, Don Groom, and, oh man, I'm really sorry, third dude. There's a third dude. That was all, the it, fact
0: that you can remember the others is is valiant. <laughs> <Sweet>. So continue.
1: <laughs> it may have been John Clemens, um, but they they were like, you know, everyone seemed to be adventure climbers back then. But they mm. put up uh, a fair few test pieces on Argon mm-hmm. beforehand, and uh, and yeah, the, the east face is some people call it the east face chimney. Um, it's the cent- line of central weakness all the way up the face, and it was the first line. To ever climb the whole face, and there's there's only two, the two lines that go up the Governor and the East Face, and for decades, people have been hiking up Mount Barney and multi, You know, there's so many people so that it's unclimbable. Like the East Face, like nobody's going to do it. Um, and then these guys just went up and they bossed it, and but not a lot of people climbed it. Um, back in the day, probably there were probably more than I, that I'm aware of. But out of, yeah, in the last 20 years, I know of like three parties that have been up it. Yeah. And there are probably more because those sorts of old school adventure climbers, they, you know, they don't sing their own songs and they're not so much on social media. Like there's, there's probably some old, you know, crusty 60, 70 year old dudes going out there and putting down every week. Um, but But yeah, it's unlikely. And anyways it's seldom climbed it's very adventurous there's not much description like root descriptions online there's all there is really is the old 60s topo and their, their pitch descriptions but all, all the measurements are in feet and all the shrubs that they they talk about aren't there anymore like they've either burned or they've just washed washed away
0: these are ballet shrubs i believe you call them in your blog
1: <laughs> yeah ballet <belay> shrubs yeah <laughs> it sounds really secure yeah no belay anchors yeah there is actually one one bolted blanker, and I think it was because, I think people had abseiled down the line before putting it up in the sixties. But don't don't quote me on that. But um, but that's just yeah, that's what I've been told. So what made you want to climb this? Oh, it was just I don't know, it was just there. <laughs> it was
0: on your list. It yeah. To be done.
1: Yeah, I think definitely I'd be lying if if I said that it wasn't appealing. That yeah, not many people had done it.
0: Yeah. And who were your partners for this? Liam Boyle. Liam. Yeah. Why Liam?
1: Oh, we were just, we were homies back then. You know, we're like, even now, like we're best mates. And back then we're, we're at a place where we could climb with each other every week. And we were like adventure buds, trad buds, and, um, just really good friends. And back then there was, there was really nobody else that I'd rather go on on an adventure with. He was the first, my first climbing partner that I truly felt had my back and, I think he truly felt that I had his as well, and so that just, I just felt really comfortable with him, yeah, and um, because yeah, I've never, I've never really been one to just go out, go out and climb with random people, and at the very start, I'd put up posts on Karank, which is the old Queensland climbing forums, and just ask for you know random uh, like bouldering partners and stuff because I didn't have any friends, but um, but. But yeah, like for roots like that, like you really need somebody you can trust, and somebody who knows your emotions just by looking at you, and can reel you back when you need to be reeled back, and pump you up when you need to be pumped up. Um, yeah, someone you can be honest with, and yeah, Liam was that was that person. Was that person for you? Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: So let's talk about the experience. Okay. How did it go down?
1: I can't actually remember the build up to it. I think
0: it would have been an early morning start like the governor. Yeah. 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 Big hike in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's about 40 or 50 meters to the left of the governor. And because the East face is divided up into two main sections, there's the left-hand side, then the weak central weakness of, of the East face route. And then there's the right-hand side that the governor goes up. And so the walk in, it usually takes me two and a half hours to get to the, the section of the ridge where you wrap down and then it takes me about 45 to an hour to like traverse across the scrub to the base of the roots and so I think we started at something like 4:30 in the morning um and we hiked up feeling really good um get down to the base of the climb feeling pumped and we start the route at maybe 8:30 or, or 9 30 and yeah first pitch we start soloing like the first the first pitch, and then we get to this point. Where we're like, okay, this is stupid. So we we rope up mid solo, and then continue up. And the first pitch goes fine. Second pitch, you're traversing over this, over this beautiful slabby rock with co- quite good rock for Mount Barney because it's it's usually quite loose. And you get to this belay that's a single carrot belay, and then I think I had two stacked hexes back in this little cavelet. So belay him up, and that was that was a bit a little bit spicy because the carrot didn't look in good shape and. Yeah, stack taxes that leave a bit, a lot to be desired. Yep. And then the third pitch was Liam's, and this is when you actually enter the weakness, the main weakness, because there's this, and the weakness is maybe it's like a dike, or there are these two dikes that run up, one on either side, and so the main sort of weakness is like this f- maybe five meter wide runnel that runs up pretty much the whole way, and. Following the old school pitch descriptions in Topo, they said that for pitches three, four, and five, you're going up and you're just linking up different shrubs as your belays, except they don't bloody exist anymore. So Liam's going up and he's like, surely this isn't the shrub. And the shrub is like, you know, the width of my index finger. And he's like, surely this isn't it. And so he's just questing up, questing up. And it was really like scary pitch. He did, he did such a sc- solid lead, but super, super scary, poor gear, like friable rock because that east face cops a lot of water runoff and and yeah really friable rock and he, anyways he gets through he ends up linking pitch three and four and he gets to this like little dodgy semi-hanging belay behind this like semi semi-detached block and just none of those shrubs existed and I get up there and he's quite rattled and I'm rattled for him and it I think it was like one thirty by that point so because it was a long lead on that sort of territory if if you're rattled and if you're just wandering around and there's not good gear and you're trying to find gear on your way up you're not moving quickly no and so it was like maybe one thirty, two o'clock there and we're having a chat and we're seeing if we can head down um just like wrap off potentially and so I leave the decision to Liam and about whether we're going to continue or or head back and and Liam just you know like we both shared like a bit of a cry and um because <laughs> we were quite emotional and then Liam was like, nah, let's go to the top. It was only later that I found out that that was because he thought it'd be too more dangerous to wrap off. Um, it wasn't like a, yeah, let's do this. It was like, let's, let's escape via up, <laughs> you know?
0: Yeah. So you were in at that point.
1: It, yeah. I think it, I think we could have wrapped off, but we weren't, you know, we'd never retreated off a route in that sort of territory and like left gear and made little retrievable anchors with you know, nested nuts and stuff. And on that, there's no defined crack lines, you know. So you'd just be finding random piddly bits that'd be sort of sketched. And yeah, it would have been sketchy to wrap off. Um, potentially you could re- swing across to the Gov and then abseil down there, but it's it's quite a ways off and it would be a quite a sketchy abseil.
0: So you're sitting there together on the cliff. How do you make that decision? Like, I mean, you said you left it to him, but how does the conversation go?
1: It It just took a bit of time because obviously like he was still rattled after that He's trying
0: to process that that last experience he's just had
1: exactly yeah and we still don't know what the next 200 meters are going to be like and i don't know you're just you're just chatting and trying to be open and honest with each other and but luckily with with each other like that's quite was quite easy um at least from my perspective we've talked about it since and um liam hasn't done too much adventure climbing since yeah Um, and i hope it's not i hope it's not related Um, he's in the Navy now but but yeah so we're just sort of chatting about it open honestly Um, and then like getting emotions out because I think it's important to like not let the emotions fuel it completely because that can really um, like throw out your mind and your rational thinking and so just waited for those for that to subside sit chill out have a bit of silence and um, and then yeah try to think about it logically about the options of retreat and to continue and like i i'm always keen to continue and that's something that i'm i'm trying to curb because it's not always the best option to to finish off the route sometimes it's, it's the better option to just retreat and but i'm always like keen like let's go to the top This is what i've set out to do i want to do it but uh but i didn't want to like just push liam too hard and so i left it up to him yeah yeah, I don't think I was too much to it.
0: <laughs> so you made the decision to go up.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um, and then once that decision was made, I'm like, "Yep, we're doing this." Then it was just like, "Okay, game on," and it was like two o'clock, and there's maybe four or five hours of light left, two hundred meters of unknown, you know, adventurous territory to go through, and I, I knew I'd be leading the rest of the pitches because, yeah, like it's just it'd be. Like a miracle for him to overcome that and continue up in similar terrain. And then, so game on, we start going. Next pitch goes okay. So do a little mini pitch five. Let's go up to the dodgy bolted anchor. And then from there, it's this weird traverse across, and then down into this into the big gully because that that central weakness at that point slabs out, and it's just like this m- like matted vine mess below you. So you sort of down climb and jump onto that, and then like just claw your claw your way up these vines, and you get into the back of this big like this deep cave. Mm. Have you have you been on Ag- uh not Agamemnon, Lamplighter? At- um,
0: I haven't been on Lamplighter okay. yet, okay. but I know a lot of listeners would have done Lamplighter. Yeah. The classic on yeah. the back of the Ferris. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So so Lamplighter is this like five meter roof chimney um, in Arapiles. And it's sort of a similar vibe to that. Like you get in the back of this like big deep cave. <clears throat> there's no gear in the back of the cave. Your last gear is the bolted anchor, which is like 20 meters. Below you, or 15 meters below you, and so if you fall anywhere in there, you're just falling down this like viney matted mess, and just <laughs> just launching off the end of that matted mess into into the abyss, and then from the back of the cave, you have to start chimneying up, and then chimneying out this like maybe six or seven meter roof chimney, and at the start, your your feet are spread on either side, and you're just trying to find some gear above you. There's, I am replacing this gold cam, and placing it right above my head as far as I could reach in the back of this pod and being like, oh yeah, I think that's good. Giving it a pull, pop, just like rock breaks, all the choss falls out. Place it again, pull it, pops. Place it again, pull it, and then it stays. And you just like give it a bit of a bigger pull but not too big because you know it's going to pop and you just leave it there. Um, but you can't place gear too early in the chimney because then you've got massive rope drag because the rope's running all the way in the back and then back out. And then between there and the lip there's had maybe one or two shitty micro cams and right on the lip of the cave and by that point at the start you're you're doing like full stem with one foot on either side then it narrows out to a point where you can get your, your butt on one side and your legs on the other side and and then right on the lip before you have to exit that that chimney stance there's this one little pod with a fixed hex in it and it's got a cord out but the cord is it's like this old black cord that probably wasn't black when it was placed, and it's like crusty. And you just know that it's not gonna—not gonna pull. You know, like if—if if there's been cords sitting there for 30 years with UV damage, often in my experience, if you clip it and you give it a pull, it's just gonna fall apart. And so, yeah, I'm pretty sure I clipped it just—you know—just, um, just in case. And then next to it, I could get one seemingly solid wire. It was like a little blue DMM offset that I put sideways and twisted, mm-hmm. and it felt bomber. Um, and so clip that and that's really my own, my only good piece. Between you and the belayer. Between me and the belayer. And you, are you like, are you feeling worked at this point? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that emotional buildup as well Mm. before that's, that's sitting on my chest. Like I've, it's not like I've been able to totally dispel those emotions. Mm. I've also got like a worry that I won't be able to get to the top and get my mate Liam to the top. Yeah. And, um and myself and except at the same time I'm trying to focus on gear and like climbing safely and taking my time but I'm getting tired. Like I, I reckon I spent about three hours on that roof chimney pitch just like chimneying out, chimneying back, chimneying out, chimneying back. And then on the lip, just there are a couple like weirdly bouldery moves right at the lip of the chimney to escape it. That I just like found it really hard to commit to because knowing that my only real piece good piece of gear is this one nut, between me and the rope is running all the way into the back of the cave and back out. So if everything else pops, in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have placed any of that stuff, but if anything else pops and I've got all the slack being introduced into the system, and even if that one nut holds but everything else pops, I'm falling down to the matted mess of vines below with rock below it. And then if that nut pops, then at that point I was above and to the left of the belayer by about 20 metres. So you're taking a 40-metre whip like straight onto the belay. And down this, like, ugly chimney and really not knowing what's going on. Um, so, yeah, that was that was definitely on my mind. Um, but, again, it's easier. It's not, like, cutting-edge climbing. It's not like I was pulling through grade 26 moves. Yeah. Like, the hardest move was between grade 17 to 20. So, it's, like, it's doable. Yeah. And in the chimney, that's a spot of respite. You can just chill with your feet on one side, your butt on the other, and you, you might just be sitting in the hallway, like a kid, you know, at home, like chimneying up the up the corridor. So so you can use that to sort of collect yourself. And I remember jeeing myself up to commit and I found a sequence that looked like it'd work. And it was the first time I was going to actually commit to get out of the chimney. And like I, just this jug blew. Like there was this one jug at the lip of the chimney to get out and I thought it was good and then it blew. But thankfully I didn't fall. Like I was still jammed in well enough. And then working it's such a slow process for me working that stuff out because I try one move and then I get really scared and I go back, rest, try the next move, get really scared, head back. Um, and and then anyways, the, the sequence ends up being, and sorry for ruining the beta for anyone, but like... <laughs> you're ruining everyone's on site. Oh, shit. Maybe <laughs> I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> all right. If you're going to climb this and you don't want your beta ruined... Yeah. I'll
0: put I've already told you all the gear,
1: but yep. yeah, just like stop listening now and skip the next half minute. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. All right.
1: And then I figured out the sequence where I had to, I had to pop around the other way and I would do, there was a shrub out, maybe a meter out and I had to do like swing out and do this karate kick and then jam my foot between me and, you know, between the, the, the chimney and the, sorry, I'll, I'll explain that again. So I've got a, so from the chimney, I've got to swing around the other way and I get my hand on like these couple, couple small holds for both hands. And there's the shrub about a meter out of the chimney. And then I just, have to karate kick my foot to stand between the chimney and the shrub and then from there you're solid you know you can like rock onto that shrub and it's a little shrub maybe it wouldn't be bigger than than my wrist sort of thing but it's bomber enough and um and then you can rock onto that and pull in and then there's there's this crack that you can escape the chimney with but it just took me ages to commit to that that karate kick. Because if you had
0: have dropped that karate kick, it would have been a fall. It would have been a fall.
1: Yeah. It was like, a, it was a controlled kick. It wasn't like, it wasn't like some out of control it was this gym Bruce problem. Bruce stab
0: into the air, uh, no. hoping at nothing. No,
1: yeah. it was sort of like, like the free solo, you know, Alex Honnold's kick on free rider at that crux. You sort of like just put your foot out and falling into it, but it's committing. Like if you miss the shrub, then you're gone. Um,
0: but you hit the shrub.
1: But I hit the shrub. And it was good. Um, and then it g- could get out, get some more gear. Um, and for for reference as well, historically that section was climbed by skipping a chimney and lassoing another shrub that was there. So they, apparently there used to be a shrub lower down on the side um, that was quite bomber and you would literally lasso it from so below. So you'd aid past it. And you'd aid past it, yeah. So you'd lasso it, climb up your rope and then continue through. But that shrub that was there had seemingly disappeared. Like I couldn't conceive of any way to lasso the shrub from. So
0: were you then the first person to climb through that chimney, or had it been, no, no? it'd be no, it'd
1: it be done. I Phil Box and and another guy had climbed it on I think the 50th anniversary of the route. So and you knew like, it was doable. Yeah, knew it was doable, and it was it was reputed to be about um grade 17, okay. yeah, um, and then yeah, get to the top of that pitch. And find this little trad belay in this runnel. And it would have been, I think I spent three hours on it. So it would have been like 5.30 or something. And we knew the sun was about to set. And then, but the only way was up there. You know, we're, we're committed. How many
0: pitches have you got to go then?
1: Ooh, so I think that was pitch five, no, five, six. I think that was pitch six. And in the in the description, they they list each pitch from pitches one to six. And then the top four pitches, they say seven to ten because they're like, you just follow this big vegetated runnel all the way to the top for like the next 150 metres. And it's just ugly. Like it is some of the funnest, ugliest, destructive, awesome climbing I've done. And you're Um, doing it in the dark. And we're doing it in the dark and we only had one head torch between us because we left the other head torch at the track. (laughs) <laughs> Bloody stupid. So had, so like we opted for the leader to have the head torch. So I had the head torch. I was sort of worried about the batteries running out, but it was all good. And then Liam had gone through the chimney section. I don't know how, because he had, he had a backpack climbing through it as well. And he just did really well to get through that section. Knowing that if he fell, he'd have to press up the rope. But he did really well, got through and then for the next four pictures, I was climbing with his head torch at night. And then Liam was seconding with his phone, <laughs> with his phone torch. And then using that to memorize all the holds around. And the holds were like, sometimes they were rock holds, but usually you're like just grabbing grass trees and shrubs and stuff. So he's using that to memorize what's going on. And then he's climbing through that section until it's too hard to continue. Then he gets his phone torch out. And it was like, you're, you're in the shrub here, like, in the scrub it wasn't from memory it wasn't like a full moon night like he really needed the the torch and um so we did really well and to give some perspective on that last section it was maybe what would you say that is like like oh, that looks 15 like, degrees off vertical yeah yeah 15 yeah. 20
0: degrees off vertical yeah.
1: yeah so it was like vegetated slab for like 150 meters And you're just like pulling on stuff, yarding on trees, like campusing. There were some sections where it was just vertical grass trees. And you're just trying to grab as much, as many blades of this grass that you can with both hands and then just campusing up it with your feet, just like, you know, just jabbed into it, like as if you got crampons. (laughs) And it's just like this beautiful, disgusting climbing. And I remember one section, there was this, you're just wandering up it and there was this little chimney where three sides of it was rock and then the fourth side of it was all matted grass and the chimney was wet and you're just like sliding up this. It's almost like chimneying up a slide or a rubbish chute that's all wet and, and uh. then getting to the top. But it was like, it was so much fun. Like it was bloody great. Um, and just absolutely exhausted um, that whole time. I, rem- I remember falling asleep on belay and don't, hopefully Liam doesn't listen to <laughs> listen this. To this. <laughs> But yeah, I remember just like leaning against this tree, being really comfortable. You L- a What's so, that? You degree a right? Um well we we're on double ropes, so oh, on doubles, I would have had yeah. an ATC. Yeah. Ah. In, gu- in guide mode though. Oh so.
0: ah, the, the we was on the governor. I was yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So you're in guide mode. Okay, alright. So yeah. it was at least somewhat <laughs> self-arresting. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um and yeah, I remember literally nodding off on belay and waking up and just thinking, what how, time how is long was it? Was I asleep? Oh, so the sun had already set and the sun like, would have set that time of the year at, like, 7th. Oh, no, it would have been winter. So, like, 6.30 or something. Um in the dark. And so, at that point, it was probably 8 or 8.30. Mm. Yeah. And
0: you've been going since 5.
1: <sighs> been going since, like, three thirty, four thirty. 4.30. That early. Yeah, because yeah. I, I think we started hiking. I'll have to look mm. at the trip report again. But I think we started hiking at 4.30, which means that we probably woke up at 3.30 or, or 4. Um, and And, yeah, and then we get to the top and we just like give each other the biggest hug and we topped out at like 10 or like 9 30 or something and it was just such an awesome feeling and we're just at the top like making giddy jokes and feeling on top of the world not even thinking about the five hours or six hours that it's going to take yeah, to hike out of there purely elated yeah yeah pure elation and uh yeah have have some lollies and then start walking down And that walk down, like, usually takes five hours, but I think it took more like six or seven for us Mm. because the fatigue was unreal. Like, I've still never felt anything like it. And because we were just running on fumes, um, you know, like a couple bites of lollies and stuff, but just the stress is so fatiguing as well as the physical exertion exertion of all that.
0: Didn't you find, I read maybe in the blog that you found a can of um, some (laughs) kind of food that you guys, like... On the way down, yeah. it opened out of desperation.
1: Yeah, that was this abandoned camp for like, I don't know, like an hour from the top. And there were these two pristine cans of like Heinz soup in a can. <laughs> and we were starving. And then we just look at the cans, look at each other. I'm like, yep, yeah, we're eating this. <laughs> and so we open it like ravenous cavemen hobos, you know, just digging into it. And, like, the first half of the can was, like, the best soup you've ever had. <laughs> and then the second half of the can, you realise that you're pretty much eating – it tastes yeah, – the consistency is like snot. And <laughs> it doesn't taste like anything because you haven't heated it up. And it was just disgusting. But, you know, we wolfed it down. Um, and that probably helped out a bit. <laughs> and then – yeah, walking out, we were literally falling asleep whilst walking and we're just stumbling down the track next to each other. I'd fall asleep into Liam, he'd wake me up, he'd fall asleep into me, wake me up and it ends up being a 23, oh, no, 21 hour day car to car because I really wanted to just sleep up there but Liam was like, nah, it's better that we just we just get out of there and I think that was right cool because it was quite cold that night and we get down to the car, we just collapse in the Travers' ute. Apparently it was like a two degree night but we... I, we didn't even notice we were so tired, we just slept through it, and the burger the next day was fucking incredible. It was like, like the best
0: this, burger you ever had,
1: yeah, it was such a dirty burger i'm I'm not one for fast food, but it was bloody, amazing and then, but yeah, the next morning we um wake up to like a Facebook post by my mum, <laughs> like turns out, mum had contacted like I think David Reeve and Phil Box just asking if they knew where I was, <laughs> and um. <laughs> So, but they were, they knew where we were that we were trying this route, and um, I'm pretty sure Liam didn't even tell his mum that what we he was were, doing. Yeah. yeah, because his mum was quite nervous about him doing the sort the sort of climbing. And when we we're going out to frog with him, and I'm sure it, she'll feel a lot better when she listens to this podcast. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's all water under the bridge now. But even when we we're going out climbing to frog with his dad, like we just wouldn't tell his mum. <laughs> yeah, but no, I think it was for the better.
0: Let, let's take it back to where we were talking about crack climbing, right? You're training really hard for crack climbing at the moment. Is that kind of the the cutting edge or some of the cutting edge in Queensland, do you think, at the moment with, like, the development and the psych in the, in the community that's going on?
1: Yeah. Oh, I haven't been training too hard recently for crack climbing. Because like of the hand injury. Because of the hand injury, yeah. Mm. I was going really hard at the start of the year and doing like two sessions a week and just climbing way too much. And in the last session, Kyle and I were doing, we were like campersing and then doing figure four hand jams. So just hanging off a single hand jam and then going to the next one. And then that just really did my hands in. And I haven't really jammed since then. Um, they're feeling better now, but I'm just holding off. Um, I think, yeah, that crack climbing is, is one potential for growth in Queensland. For yeah. sure.
0: Where are the other potential areas that you think Queensland climbing can go in?
1: Ooh. So, there, there's a few areas at the moment that are opening up that seem super promising. Like, Minto Crags is one of them.
0: Minto Crag.
1: Minto Crags, yep. yeah. And do
0: you see a lot of potential there for some, you know, like, well, what is the big potential there beyond uh, what's right Hard there? sport. Hard sport. Yeah.
1: There might yeah. be a couple, like, head pointy mixed or trad lines. But, uh, yeah, hard sport, really. Like, there's just, there's vertical walls there on the inner part because it's a big ring dike and so on the inner part of that ring dike there's some like dead vert walls with all these like small edges at different angles and that will looking at it I haven't wrapped down the wall but looking at it from talking with, with a couple other people that have been developing out there recently it looks like there's going to be stuff in like grade 33 32 plus maybe 35s like yeah okay and we don't really have that much hard stuff on vertical
0: mm. Mm. and it's good rock
1: really good rock yeah really bomber but different to frog rye it's just real compact and strong edges yeah not too flaky so you really psyched
0: then to like say maybe go and pursue some of those really hard sport lines uh that might be there in that in that
1: oh definitely in in the future i'm not so psyched on bolting like hard sport lines if they if they don't grab me aesthetically to be honest for for the lines that i'd like to bolt i have to look up at it from the ground and be like I want to be up there. That looks like a cool line. But I'm not so psyched about going to a crag and being like, oh, you know, like I could bolt like those four or five lines and there's going to be a line there. I may as well bolt it. I'm more psyched about, yeah, going for like the real aesthetic, good-looking lines that draw me in initially and then getting sucked into the beauty of, of the actual climbing. Yeah, okay. Um, and But in terms of climbing that hard stuff, like there's enough people out there bolting it that I can sort of hang back and do what I want to do. And then once it's bolted, I can try it, you know? <laughs> like, if that doesn't sound too selfish, it's more like people are going to do it anyway. So I don't mind about not being that person to do it.
0: So you don't feel this need to be on the cutting edge necessarily of development?
1: Not, No, not really. No? No. Um,
0: you're driven by this desire to do it all.
1: Exactly, yeah. And I just know that, you know, if you're out there bolting something, it takes a lot of time out of your climbing, and I've had friends that have devoted time to developing entire crags and, and but they're like, oh, I didn't actually really get to climb that much this season because I was just bolting the whole time. I'd rather like have it being a, a community effort and like finding a place and letting other people know about it and having, a, yeah, being an, an effort to get it done more quickly so that you've got more climbing time. <laughs> I just rather moving over rock really.
0: So what is in the future for you, you know, over the next few years, do you think?
1: expeditions expeditions that's what gets me psyched yeah yeah. to where who knows who knows I'm going to Tassie in February with with Ryan and we are going to try to put up some new routes at at a cliff or a mountain called Precipitous Bluff and it's a four day hike in looks like pretty ugly like thick dense bush and uh, yeah it's in the remote southwest Tasmania and it's just it's a 300 meter high cliff completely like columnar dolerite, So a lot of crack climbing, but the initial 20 to 25 meters apparently is a different type of rock. So we're going to have to figure out something there to get through the initial um, blank section with no weaknesses to gain the cracks above. But yeah, so that's the next mission. Um, Then next winter, myself, Dan Cox and Kyle, Addy, and we just uh, enrolled a a fourth musketeer bike stringer are going to head back out to Mount Warning and try to continue our, our climb that we tried to put up this year. And that's, we're trying to do it ground up. It's the biggest cliff in Australia. It's 500 meters bottom to top and well, sorry, 400 to 450 meters bottom to top at the highest section, but the route is going to be about 500 meters with with all it's wandering. And we're trying to go straight up the biggest part of the wall, ground up. And so that'll mean like sleeping on the wall next year, hauling portal edges, having two people going up, establishing, pushing the high point further and two people behind managing all the hauling and then trying to free the bottom pitches, um, the lower pitches, because there's going to be some hard pitches on there.
0: And why have you guys elected to do that ground up other than wrap it in?
1: Oh, wrap in. I've had a couple of people be like, just wrap in, get it done. Like put the bolts in, see where the line goes. But oh, I don't know. It seems like a waste to me. Like if... There's so much experience and so much to be learned from going ground up that would I would totally ignore by going top down, and also top down you might end up putting more bolts in than you need, and the line might not follow the true weakness of the climb, because currently the only line that goes up the main section is the Lost Boys, and that's like an absolute Australian test piece. It's a six five hundred ninety five or no five hundred sixty five meter route, so it's the you know longest continuous route. In Australia, if you discount Blade Ridge into the southwest face of um, oh sorry, northwest face of Federation Peak, and the way that uh, Tim Bull bolted it back in the day was just wrapping down direct line, um, got to this big traverse, got to this big roof, and then opted to make it traverse and then wrapped down direct line. That means that you you lose the weaknesses. So there's not a lot of cracks on the route, but where there are, you know, you're not following them, and there's often like these long slabby sections that you wouldn't go down because his wrap ropes didn't go down that way. So he just bolted it and you just climb up, up the the direct line for the most part. And so this way you get to like follow those slabs and follow the weaknesses and climb a bit more naturally. Plus it's just like, why would, why would you not want to just quest up a wall the hardest way and be forced to live in a portal edge <laughs> when you're putting it up, you know, like it'd be a shame to, to not do that, I think. And then it's also good preparation for going over and doing other ground-up big walls where they might might be a kilometre high or 1.5 k's high and you have to do that. So, yeah.
0: What about the other areas of your climbing, right, in terms of bouldering and, and mm. sport? Are there any aspirations there for the next couple of years?
1: Uh, bouldering, I'd like to just climb harder. Yeah, I definitely, I really enjoy the process of bouldering, but it's definitely training for me. And... Same thing with sport climbing, like I would love to, to climb another 30 and to break up into those, into those higher grades because this, this wall, for example, on warning, one of the pitches looks like it could be anywhere from like grade 29 to 33 and I'm, I'm not sure that I can climb it. So there's an immediate example of why I need to continue training my sport climbing and my bouldering in order to further my adventure climbing potential. Because that could be the difference between freeing it next year or freeing it in 10 years or having to get somebody else to come in and free it. And so, yeah, I'd love to, to climb harder sport climbing, do some of the harder stuff at, that'll go up at Minto. Um, frog buttress, I would really like to do whistling kite and finish off Pokemoko. I'm pretty confident I can do Pokemoko now. But that'd be awesome to do because that's one of the goals whistling kite that is, that I never thought would have been possible for me at the start of my climbing, which would be sick to, to get that done. Um, and hopefully try to find some harder trad test pieces, because at the moment our hardest trad climbers are 28 in Queensland, which seems like bollocks. There's, there'll, there'll be harder stuff out there for sure.
0: That's it, thanks for listening and thanks to Alex for sitting down to tell us a bit of his story. I think you can tell from the podcast just how psyched Alex is and how infectious his enthusiasm for climbing can be. I really enjoyed having the chance to boulder with him while I was in Brisbane in Tui Forest. If you have not already, head over to Instagram and Facebook and give us a follow and a like. Show notes and links to a lot of the material that we talk about uh, and links to the the climbers' Instagrams and and the online content that you can find about the climbers featured on The Layback are always on the blog at www.thelayback.com. To take us out, here's an old Aussie ad from 1992 from Moog's post-climbing snack of choice, Aged Heinz Soup in a Can. Thanks for listening. You just can't
1: improve on nature. It's amazing how many people try. When Mr. Heinz selects ingredients for his soups, he resists the modern temptation to tamper with them. So you won't find anything artificial in his pumpkin soup or any Heinz soups. Which means his vegetable soup is just that. Real, natural vegetable. What do you think, Sam? Unreal. I think that means he likes it. Well done, Mr. Hines. Well done.